In Under the Skin tonight, we present the second part of Jeremy Fuking in conversation with Dennis Goldberg, with dramatic effects added by Mbabi Machiba and Julia N. Malone. They murdered my comrade Look Smart because they couldn't get what they wanted from him. I mean, that's remarkable. That young woman, what's her name, they've got at the Constitutional Court there's a showcase with a dress made of blue plastic and a trouser suit because she was being tortured. They stripped her naked. I will not talk. You can do what you like. Stripper! Ah, come on. Come on, get those clothes off. Man. She was having her woman's time. I don't care what you do to And she had no clothes. She took a blue plastic bag and made a panty out of it. Sus, man. Yeah. I will never talk. They shot her in the back of the head and buried her. Illegally. But somehow, the policeman who did it was forced to give evidence and they exhumed her bones and found this blue plastic bag. Just the bones in the blue plastic bag. Because men can humiliate women in ways that you can't do to men so easy. But she wouldn't talk. And the artist Judith Mason made these clothes out of plastic, beautiful clothes, in a showcase, in the Constitutional Court, to give her back her dignity. And, you know, these are dreadful stories, but they didn't break her. Of brutality. I personally was not physically beaten, I do have to tell you. But there's lots of ways of torture, like we're sitting here and I'm questioning you and I've got my service revolver on the desk and it's pointing at your stomach and I'm playing with a trigger. And you go on day after day and hour after hour and hour after hour. You'd uh, better tell us about your comrade, look smart. We've got lots of time, Mr. Goldberg. And then they say to you, you better tell us about your comrade, look smart, and comrade for them is a swear word. And you say, what, what are you, are you talking, talking about? Well, he's dead. Well, <laughs> he's dead, Mr. Goldberg. You mean... You mean you murdered him? No, no, no. We had nothing to do with it. But uh, we can give you to the men who did. You want to go and be handled You want to go to be handled by them? You want to die. You want to die? But you're going to die anyway. But you're going to die anyway. We're going to hang you. We're going to hang you. You'd better tell us. Tell us or we arrest your wife. What's your wife's name again? We're going to arrest her if you don't tell us. I'm not talking. So you'll do what you've got to do. In fact, they had already arrested her. The pressure goes on day after day after day with the threat to your life. Partly, I have to say, I don't know what would have happened had they beaten me up. Casarata says the same thing. It was a psychological torture. Nevertheless, pretty brutal stuff. And partly you torture yourself because you know what they can do. But I was in a position where they took me to Ferenichung prison because they thought I would be 
more vulnerable if I was totally alone, not seeing any other political prisoners in Pretoria prison. And I planned an escape, and I did break out. And that meant I had to play for time, because if you're not an experienced prisoner, you need to be able to force open the cell door. And it's not so easy. And I couldn't make a key, but I did find a way of forcing the door open. And I did climb out over the roof. I had to build my strength so that I could chin myself, you know, and pull myself up. You see, mm. commando soldiers do it. They make it look easy. Mm. I want to tell you mm. it's not. And so I got out. And I got through the barbed wire fence, cut myself quite a bit, and then I heard the siren go off. But I'd given them little bits and pieces. They found some documents of mine. They found some drawings for making the cast iron, making the furnaces and so on. Uh, it was all very clearly defined. And I need them not to ask the questions, which were the difficult ones. Who did you work with? Who, Who did you, you do with? this with? Where is, Where the, is the house? Where is Where's the, the typewriter? Where's, Where's the, the machinery? Where's Where? this? Where's that? Where? Which Where? is what they wanted from we'll me. Give you money if you tell we'll us. give you money if you tell us. But I tell them to go away. But that's not the language mm. I use. Mm. The pressure's endless. Because always they come along having broken other people and they're getting nearer and nearer to what you know, to unlock you, your yeah. mind. Uh, I used to sweat, I tell you, my shirt was soaked. And so I had a, a windbreaker jacket, a sort of lumber jacket. I used to wear that, so the smell of the sweat wasn't so strong. I could smell it, I hope they couldn't. Because the pressure... I know I wasn't beaten. But psychological torture is torture, believe me. And when there's a pistol pointing at you from men who want to murder you, uh, that's something. And coming back to pressure and the Holocaust, the security police said to me, we're going to hang you We're and one of your you. own people is going to and hang you. And one of your own people is going to hang you. What do you mean, one of my own people? So I said, what are you talking about, one of my own people? Someone who betrayed you. So I said, well, what are you talking about? They say, well... Dr. Utah. Is the prosecutor. Dr. Utah is the prosecutor. Who's Dr. Utah? So I said, well, who's Dr. Utah? I'm from Cape Town. I don't know. <laughs> well, he's a Jew. And he's going to hang you. <laughs> oh, they loved that. And Dr. Utah collaborated. He was vicious. He wanted death. He was prepared to misread documents, falsify answers in cross-examination. He was trying to make a show trial to show that we were the most evil, terrible people. But this is the kind of pressure they put on you. We're going to hang you, we're going to hang you, we're going to hang you. And I said, in the end, you're going to hang me, you're still not going to get anything from me, because if well, I'm, if going, I'm to going to die... I might as well die with honour. That was my feeling. I hope I succeeded because I know that not a single person was arrested because of me. And that's the proof of the pudding. Everybody is waiting 
making everyone, everyone under the sun. But time is passing, waiting for that train to come, and it's slipping past everyone, everyone under the sun. beginning of your book you talk about the wall yes is that where it came into practice well the wall is a short story by Jean-Paul Sartre French philosopher he talks about the need always for personal decisions to be made even in the most difficult situations and this story of the wall is about the Spanish Civil War where the fascists led by General Franco overthrew the elected government, a social democrat government, and Great Britain, France, America, Germany, Italy, all supported the Franco fascists against the elected government. These people who now talk about human rights and democracy supported the overthrow of the democratic government of Spain, you see. And the story goes that a guerrilla fighter defending the elected government against these international forces is arrested by the police and interrogated. And what they want from him is, where is your comrade that you always work with? Because that comrade is a great leader. And he holds on and holds on till he can hold on no longer. And he tells them where they were in hiding because he knows this man has gone away because that was the plan. But what the one who's been broken doesn't know is that his comrade could not go to others the way he was to hide, because there was sickness there, and he could not say so he had to go back to the old hiding place. And there he's caught and interrogated and put up against a wall, the wall, and is executed. Now my comrade looked smart, was in hiding. He'd sent a group of people out for military training. They were caught near Rustenburg, near the Botswana border. And one of the party thought he could be clever and say where Luxmart was, because Luxmart was supposed to go into hiding. But they didn't know that Luxmart was ill and couldn't take his illness into a shanty on the Cape Flats. And so they arrested Luxmart and murdered him. And that story, Luxmart was such a Luxmart and Solwandle and Gudle. He was called Luxmart by his mother because when he was a baby, he was so beautiful she called him Luxmart. He looked smart. It's a sweet story. But he was a handsome man, beautifully built. He was a natural leader. He was literate, he'd been to agricultural college at Alice. He'd come to Cape Town. He somehow, people gathered around him. He could tell them things, he could explain things. He was a full-time political activist. He was, sold the Guardian newspaper. He was in the ANC, he was a natural leader in Umkonto. 
He was our field commander at our training camp at Mumri. And they interrogated him, interrogated him and murdered him. Looks just like that story of the wall of somebody given away because a comrade knew he wouldn't be there, but he had to go back. And, and Look Smart is such a figure in my life of such integrity, of commitment, of readiness to give his life for freedom. I feel he's part of me. He inspired me. We worked together as friends, as comrades. And eventually, I was present when his remains were exhumed at, I think, Mamalodi in the graveyard there. And his bones were identified as his. And then I was present when the remains were handed to his parents at a ceremony in Cape Town. And his son, who was six years old at the time, led the fight to have his remains found and took over 40 years. And at last the family has his remains and could bury him. What a story. That's why Look Smart's there. That story was a keystone in my life. You know, the partisans, the underground fighters in World War II, I was a little boy. I was 12 years old at the end of the war. For me, it was kind of romantic heroism what people did, and the whole world cheered. They didn't call them terrorists. The terrorists were the Nazis, or the occupiers. Sabotage, explosions, taking out barracks and bridges and soldiers and their weapons, that was heroism. And I felt I could be like that. And I felt I had to be like that because of the way I grew up. My father was an ordinary sailor and not a wealthy man, could send me to university as a first-generation South African when half of our population never went to school, the African population. There were no places. Government didn't build schools. The missions did. How could I accept this privilege and not give something back? You see... Conscience is a burden. And once you've seen through the fact that we were not a democracy, like I told, not everybody could vote. Once you see through the oppression, once you understand what the oppression is about, and that it takes the form of white, black, white, colored, white, Indian, and all these uh, relationships based on color and you read more and you understand that really it's about cheap labor and exploitation and children growing up in the countryside without going to school and no medical care and then you learn that half of all children in the Siska are dead by the age of five years in our rich South Africa how can you tolerate this? And so my resolve was that I had to be part of a struggle for justice. And justice in South Africa meant putting an end to racism by law. And with the Ravonia trial, mm -hmm. the possibility of death 
was rising in front of him. Yeah. But we didn't have fear. It didn't seem to matter. What seemed to matter was that we were, through our defense, turning what was meant to be an apartheid government show trial to show that we were stupid, careless terrorists into showing that apartheid was state terrorism against the mass of the people all the time. Not just the individual acts of torture, the daily lives of African people. And we succeeded in that. When Nelson Mandela made that famous speech of his, it took nearly four hours, and he ended, I quote it more or less from memory, where he says his vision... Against white domination, and I have against black domination. I have cherished the idea of a democratic and free society. It is an idea of which I hope to live but my Lord, if it needs be, it is an idea for which I am prepared to die. And there was a, a strained silence in the court. Dead silence. And then a sort of from the audience and what I remember at that moment I knew he was going to say this we'd all seen the speech he'd written it in his great big round handwriting it was his speech the lawyers had made suggestions things that needed to be covered legally speaking our buildings were occupied amongst others by Nelson Mandela accused number one who went under the assumed name of David Walter Sisulu, accused number two, who likewise assumed another name, Allah, and Ahmed Mohammed Kathadra, accused number five, who followed suit with the name of Pedro. The further residents included Gervin <coughs> Mabeki, accused number four, a named communist and also known as Shlamini, and Raymond Mushlaba, accused number seven. Frequent, regular visitors to the Ravonia house were Dennis Goldberg, accused number three, who went one step further and had two fictitious names, both of which he used, namely Williams and Barna. But in effect, what Lionel Bernstein, this hero was saying to the judge was, this is what I believe in. This is what our country needs. Hang me if you dare to. Oh, hang Walter Sosulu, hang Dennis Goldberg, hang Umgov, hang, 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 hang. And what I remember is just pride. There was no sense of fear from any one of us. Just pride, pride in sharing this moment. And what a moment in my life. To be there. You don't choose to be on trial for your life. You get mm -hmm. put there just by chance. But what a moment. And then comes the end of the trial, and we know we're going to die. We know the sentence must be death. The media have been screaming for it all the time. The prosecutor's been calling for the death sentence. The judge has made it clear that he doesn't like us. And then... Having found us guilty one day or the next day, he passed the sentence 
and he says he's not going to impose the maximum sentence. The verdict will be accused number one is found guilty on all four counts. Accused number two is found guilty on all four counts. Accused number three is found guilty. The sentence in the case of all the accused will be one of life imprisonment. 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 And we smile a little bit. Madiba also. And then he says the only leniency he can show is to impose life sentence for each of the charges that we've been found guilty. And we laughed. Life. Dennis! Dennis! What is it? Laugh. And laugh's wonderful. My mother couldn't hear in the noise in the court. She says, Dennis, Dennis, what is it? And I said, life and life's wonderful. And you know it is. I'm very happy to be talking to you today. I wouldn't be if we'd been sentenced to death and if they'd carried it out. But I can tell you, the day before the sentence, Comrade Ray Amschlaber came to me and he said, Dennis, we have decided that if we get death sentences, we will not appeal. I've been told to inform you. We were in separate parts of the prison, apartheid. And I said, it's a good, interesting argument, but why? Tell me why. He said, Because we feel that we must let them hang us and get us out of the way. And our people will rise up and sweep apartheid away. It's a sense of martyrdom, you know, for the cause. And I said, I didn't think it would work that way. I thought that the apartheid government would take their time, if there were their sentences, and hang us one by one. When they've got everything under control. And I thought it would be a waste of a leader like him, Comrade Raymond. I said, Comrade, it's taken 30 years to make you the leader you are. We're going to need you to rebuild our country. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dennis. I think we have to appeal. Oh, thank you, he said. A week before he died, many years later, I drove up, he was very ill with cancer, I drove up from Cape Town to Port Elizabeth with my wife, and we went to see him. And I recalled this conversation. He had a lovely laugh. He used to laugh with a (laughs) sort of a laugh. Hey, but we never had to put it to the test, did we, Dennis? (laughs) (laughs) And a week later, he was dead. But what a life. He became Premier of Eastern Cape Province in our liberated South Africa. We did need him. I don't know how to, what incarceration means. 
Essentially, you're physically locked up. You struggle to keep your mind and your thoughts free, although they try to break you. They censor your letters, they cut you off from your family. They do not allow you news of the world outside. There's a sameness day after day after day. It's a very lonely existence. You're locked up in a cell alone. You don't have a choice, you get locked up alone. <laughs> we would complain we're in solitary confinement. And they said, no, no, solitary confinement is a punishment. You are simply being kept alone. There's technical difference. Sometimes to be in a cell with others for a long time is also painful. 24 hours a day, day after day after day. And every individual, myself included, has habits that offend others. Sniffing, sneezing, snorting, farting, smelling, not washing, whatever. Being too generous, being ungenerous, being too selfish. Everybody has some at, so perhaps better to be in a cell on your own. You come together at exercise time, or at one time we worked in workshops, and that was useful in maintaining sanity and talking. One letter in six months for the first two years. A letter is 500 words, approximately, but they would cut them to length. And the only part you really want to see is, I love you, from your wife, from your children. But the letter's too long, so they cut that out. Then you get one letter and one visit every six months of half an hour. And my family had gone overseas. I asked them to go for safety, partly because I'd been instructed, having escaped once, to try and escape again, so they'd better be out of the way and not get arrested again. But partly for safety. I must tell you that the hatred expressed to me because I'm white by white security police and white prison guards 